The Women of Color STEM Conference presents Playing in the Sandbox, Effective Strategies for Managing Multi-Generational Teams, a professional development seminar featuring Senior Project Manager for Mathematica Policy Research, Petula Brown, District Commander for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Louisville District, Colonel Antoinette Gant, and Director of Supply Chain Procurement for Huntington Ingalls Industries, Stephanie Simmons. Managers are charged with meeting diverse needs to maximize value and productivity. To be a competent leader and manager, your role is to create opportunities, empower others, and leverage the specialized skills of employees. One continuing challenge is managing multi-generational teams. The complexity of communication presents two core challenges. How do we increase quality and efficiency of knowledge sharing, and how do we improve value? Collaboration and knowledge sharing practices are essential to solving problems, enhancing professional relationships, increasing productivity, and improving work quality. Building communities that continue to address knowledge sharing and collaboration systems is the key to remaining competitive. Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference presents Playing in the Sandbox, Effective Strategies for Managing Multi-Generational Teams, a professional development seminar, featuring Petula Brown, Colonel Antoinette Gant, and Stephanie Simmons. Okay, it's 10 o'clock, so we're gonna get ready to get started here. Good morning again. I see we have some of our awardees in the room, so I wanna say congratulations to you. Yes, let's give them a round of applause. And we wanna welcome you to Playing in the Sandbox, Effective Strategies for Managing Multi-Generational Teams. Um, this is to be an exciting time. We're gonna have some fun here. Because of the, the size of the group, we actually have an exercise that's in here in, uh, incorporated into our time today. So I think it will be good with the number of people that we actually have. Uh, I am Antoinette Gant, a colonel in the United States Army for the Army Corps of Engineers, one of their district commanders. And uh, I'm excited to be your moderator for today. Yesterday I got to sit on a panel and I was all dressed up in my, you know, I call it my cute uniform. Uh, but today, you know, I said, I gotta get stretched wide. I gotta get big, so I gotta put on my combat uniform so, I can be, so we can be ready. Um, and just a few housekeeping notes before we get ready. If you have not had your badge scan before you get ready, when you leave, uh, you can still get your badge scan so you can make sure you get credit for uh, being here today. You know, do know that there is CEU and PDH credits that you can actually obtain from Morgan State University um, for this. The presentation that you see today, as well as all the others that you attend, are available um, and will be on the website. It's uh, www.slideshare.net and I can pass, I can give that again at the end. And social media, if you are not following women of color already on social media, there are several ways that you can actually do that. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, um, women of color, I think it's CCG, um, as well as through the women of color app that's out there. So um, I've got somebody in the back that's gonna give me some time hacks to make sure we stay within our time. We do have another presentation that's coming afterwards. I will tell you, we've got some exciting 
presenters today um, and before. These are what we came up. I know there are some objectives that are coming that are in the, the syllabus that actually talks about what you should get out of here. But here are the three that we actually came with. Just raising awareness to the importance of multi-generational teams. And if you don't know, this is the probably the first, well, I wouldn't say the first, but the years that we're living in now, you have like four or five generations that are actually, you know, the gen, the baby boomers are still around, the yeah, generation X, the millennials. I mean, you got everybody all in the workforce at the same time. And how do you deal with that? So we hope to give you some strategies on that. Forging an understanding between the members of the different generations, because all of us are not the same. We all have different ways of what we doing, uh, do things. Some of us are very traditionalist, um, while others think that, you know, there are just, a, I, I call it the happy-go-lucky, hey, I'm just glad to be here um, type way. So um, we're going to look at that. And then just generating ideals for strengthening the, the team dynamics, because that is important. You want everybody to be accepted and feel like they are truly uh, contributing to the team um, and uh, again today's session is all about trying to come up with some of those strategies so let me introduce you to our panelists here we have Miss Stephanie Simmons okay I know we've got some folks from Newport News shipping the Ingalls the Huntington Ingalls industry in the house so y'all got it that's right all right so Stephanie is currently the director of the supply chain management. She's responsible for the management of supply chain management compliance, procurement related business systems, uh, small business office, e-business, traffic, import and export and training. Stephanie has a degree in engineering from Georgia Institute of Technology, Georgia Tech. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> And she has um, received several awards. As a matter of fact, in, she was a Certificate of Merit at the 2001 Women of Color. Wow. And then also selected as a 2012 YWCA Women of Distinction in the category of Science and Technology. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. And one fun, I asked them to give me fun facts about themselves, right? Okay, so one fun fact about Stephanie is that her pastime hobby is Chicago-style stepping. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So you have to give us all lessons. Um, and then our next um, presenter here, panelist, is Miss Patula Brown from Mathetic. I'm not sure I say that right. Mathematic Policy Research. She's a senior project manager, uh, a multifaceted facilitator with competencies and experience in information technology, projects and service industries, uh, using total quality management, project management, business analyst skills, and over the ten, over the past ten years, as she has experience that includes executive leadership relationships, management, um, project team leadership coordination, and matrix organization. I'm learning all this stuff because I'm studying for my PMP. So. Uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. So I know exactly what we're talking about there. Um, and then technical skills that includes proficiencies, of course, in our Microsoft Office and Viso. So again, let's welcome Ms. Patula Brown. And our fun fact about Patula is that she's a freelance travel writer, so she can tell us about all the places we need to go. <laughs> So from here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it over to Stephanie to give us some um, tips about um, 
working with multi-generational uh, teams. And then we'll come back later and we'll have a question and answer session, um, but we'll also do some activity to, to get some feedback from you all. All right, Stephanie. Well, again, good morning. Let's get ready to have a conversation. At New Bernoulli Shipbuilding, we have roughly 22,000 employees. And of those 22,000 employees, 1,200 of them have more than 40 years of service. Just think about that, 40 years of service. And guess what our longest running continuous years of service person, what that number is? Keep going. 60, keep going. 63. We have an employee that has been with us for 63 years. And I will tell you, we have five generations at Newport News, all the way from traditionalists to Generation Z. And do you know what we have in common, all of us? We are proud shipbuilders for the United States Navy. We are proud of the products that we build. And regardless of what generation we come from, that's the common bond and glue that holds us together. And you'll see why that's important. So let's talk about playing in the sandbox. You have teams that are specialty teams, teams that are put together just for a limited amount of time to accomplish a goal. So let's talk about how we manage those generations just for those specialty teams. So very first thing you need to do, clearly define and document what the team's objectives are. That way, no matter what generation is sitting at the table, everybody knows what they're there to accomplish. Take the time to open the floor for questions to get clarification and document it. And that's good no matter what you're doing, whether you're trying to get generations to play good in the sandbox or just even if it's the same generation. Um, next, introduce the value of each of the team members. Real life story, I've had situations where people have actually asked a team member, well, why are you here? When they've said something that they didn't like what was being said, well, why are you here anyway? Eliminate that from the beginning. Go around the room and have each team member talk about what value they're going to bring to the team. Why are they there? And also be educated about who you put on the team. Because sometimes people don't toot their own horn. I'm always going to toot Hong Kong. Oh, you left out the fact of X. So make sure that everybody on the team knows why that person is there and what they're going to bring to the team. Are they the subject matter expert? Are they the person that's going to help you with the PowerPoint presentation? Are they the person that's going to facilitate the process and keep things going? Nextly, also, very critical, my next point. Remember, the parent of the ugly baby may be on the team. And what do I mean by that? No matter how ugly the baby is, it's my baby. And it's beautiful and it's pretty. So if we're here getting ready to improve the process, please, if the parent of the ugly baby is sitting in the room, you know, you don't call it the ugly baby. But as you're doing introductions, you say, well, and this is Stephanie Simmons. Back in 1980, she was the one that went out and started this Opportunity for Improvement program and brought it to where it is today. And we're here to enhance the process. 
So people that may have come to the meeting ready to cut down the opportunity for improvement process, some of those comments that they would have made, <laughs> you know, you can cut that off because just think about that. If they're there talking about the ugly baby and the owner is there and they hear all of that, what is that owner of the process going to do? They're going to shut down. They're going to they're going to be shut they're going to shut down and critical key information that the team needs to know. They may say, "Oh, well, you called my baby ugly." Well, I'm not going to tell you about that big old hole in the process <laughs> that required us to have this extra step that you're talking about. Nextly, use icebreakers to create a safe space to talk about the differences. You know, make a joke out of it. What are the preferred methods of communication? It's more than generational. You can have people that are traditionalists and Generation Z, but those two people may also have the same mindset about communication. You have the people that are subject matter experts that you got to sometimes pull things out of them. It doesn't matter about the generation. So with communication, find out, do people prefer the phone? Do they prefer to do web meetings? Do some people need face-to-face -face meetings? I have found sometimes if you start with a face-to-face -face meeting and then I can associate your voice with your face, that facilitates the web meeting. So. Poll the team, find out what their preferred methods of communication is. And what are their work styles? Some people have a schedule where they're better in the morning. Some people are better in the evening. Some have time openings in the afternoon. So have those discussions and be upfront about it. Um, lastly, create ground rules that address generational differences. And you don't even have to call it generational differences. Just ask people, what are their hot buttons? You know, what are their preferences? And what are the rules that we're going to use as we generate, you know, the product that's going to improve the process moving forward? And so that creates an environment where everybody will feel valued and everybody has a clear understanding of what we're all trying to accomplish. So that's critical. Now, playing in the department sandbox. This is when you're the supervisor, manager, or director of a department or a division. To manage cross-generations, you have to recognize your own biases. And we all have biases, even if they are unconscious. I'll tell another Stephanie story. When I first came out of Georgia Tech, I looked like I was about 17 years old. I've been with the company 35 years now. When I would go out, my first job was an auditor. So I would go to companies to validate that they had the quality systems, people, personnel, and capability of building the products that we use to build our carriers and submarines. So I got tired of showing up and having them say, oh, well, we thought you were scheduling the meeting for your boss. Oh, you're the person that's going to be doing the audit? Yes. And so, you know, I would get kind of indignant about, I don't care if I'm looking young, I'm really going to audit you now. <laughs> oh, you're not doing that? Scribble, scribble, scribble. Um, but, you know, I, I had this, my hot button was, you know, don't have preconceived notions about me because of my appearance or how young you think I am. So over the years, I'm still auditing and I'm on the plane, plane lands, and I'm walking down the aisle. The cockpit door opens. 
and this child walks out. And my first thought was, to me, my head was, does your mama know you're back there? <laughs> and then he put his hat on, and I was like, oh my God, he was flying the plane. And I had to catch myself, and I said, that very hot button that I had, here I am, I've crossed over into the line of judging someone because of their age. So recognize your biases. And how about the commercials where you see the young girl bop into the conference room and interrupt the meeting and say, well, you know, I've been here two weeks, so um, I'm ready for my parking space, I'm ready for my promotion, and oh, how about stocks? <laughs> you know, there are these biases and preconceived notions that we can laugh about, but before you can manage cross generations, be aware those hot buttons are things that you're already guilty of yourself. So in a fun way, have those conversations, you know, put it out there. Um, in my organization, we play the would you rather and why game. So this gives people an opportunity to learn about each other. One of the last questions we played was, if you could have the same title and same pay, what job would you be doing for the company and why? And that gives us insight into each other. You know, what process would you change and why? And so it's more than just those, those every day-to-day -day things. It gives you insight into the person. Conduct team-building exercises. Through those team-building exercises, people get to see how they're more alike than different. You know, another Stephanie story, when I came in, you know, today you've heard the theme throughout this conference of, I'm the only one, I'm different. When I came in, my strategy was, how do I get people to see how I'm more like them than different than them? I was an engineer. The men in the room, most of them at that time, were engineers. I am a Star Trek freak. <laughs> I am a Trekkie. Lots of them like Star Trek. The books I read are about paranormal soldiers with special powers. So we were reading a lot of the same books. So I helped them see how we were more alike. And again, in Newport News Shipbuilding, the common theme that we have is we build good ships. All of us are serious about that. We know that the ships we build stand in the way of harm to this nation and to the country. And so we care about the soldiers that are on those ships and we care about their mission. So regardless of the generation, that's the thing that bonds us together. So when you think about what your company does, how often did we hear the Boeing company last night? You know, what, what is that thing in your company that bonds you together as a team? Build on that. Um, Host after-hour company events. Recognize the value of bonding outside the work environment. When you bond outside the work environment, it doesn't always have to be about that product. That's when people learn to care about each other as people. That's when you start having that conversation about, you know, how many children do you have, sports, hobbies. And you find, again, that common bond, and you get to learn about each other and care about each other as individuals. Utilize customers. 
Cuspers are those people that are born within three to five years of the beginning or the end of a generation. So they're empathetic to both sides. They can be the translators. You know, well, what do they mean by that? How often do you hear, in my generation, my father was Navy. If he would look at me and I wasn't doing anything, I just stopped breathing because I figured I wasn't doing that well. Um, now, my children always, why? Why? Well, I would never ask my parents <laughs> or my boss why. Again, the feedback that we get from the younger generation is we aren't asking why because we don't want to do the work. We're asking why because we want to understand what you need, what you're asking for. Because guess what? There's a lot of ways to get to Richmond from Newport News. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell me what you need and how you're going to use it. That may make the difference between me getting it for you in two minutes versus two hours. Because that information could be in another database. So they're not asking why because they're challenging you. But that might be your perception of why they're asking why. No. And younger generation, when older generation are trying to help you, it's not because we're trying to tell you how to do it. It's because we care about you. We want you to learn from our lessons learned. We don't want you to make the same mistakes that we have made. And as you go about improving and putting bows on our ugly babies and booties, <laughs> you know, we want to give you that heads up. So utilize those cuspers because they can help with the the translation and simmer things down. You know, how many times have you gotten an email and got an attitude and started? <laughs> I do that, but then I erase it. <laughs> Go home and sleep on it. And then the next day you get a follow-up email and you're like, oh my God, I almost burnt a bridge. What I thought that person was saying wasn't what they were really saying. And I almost burned a bridge. So don't let your biases have you hear something that wasn't even being said. Um, reverse mentoring. I absolutely love reverse mentoring. Those people that I have mentored, whenever they can help me, just the joy in their face that they're able to come back and now help me with something. I'm an engineer, I hate to read. I'd rather sit there and figure it out on my own. And so all my little protégés, I can call them up and I say, come and help me with this. I never thought I would ever hear myself say this, but don't change another system until I retire, please. <laughs> but I call the people, my protégés, and I say, come and show me how to do this. And they are too happy. So reverse mentoring, is a sharing and another way to show cross generations how we can add value to each other. And again, I keep stressing this, point out the shared attributes. What are those common things that we all care about, that we can all rally around? And don't ignore dysfunctions, intervene. That is one of my pet peeves, not just with generations, but with anything. You owe it to people to give them honest feedback about their performance. 
don't let somebody be here 25 years and never have told them what is derailing their career or preventing them from taking that next step. So when you see biases are getting in the way of your team being productive, and I'm not saying do it in front of the crowd, but take that person to the side and say, hey, when Shelly asked you why earlier today, she wasn't challenging you. Or when Tim was trying to explain the process to you, he wasn't trying to make you feel young and inexperienced. He was trying to help you. He was trying to share his lessons learned. So address those dysfunctions on your team. Don't let them fester. And educate the team on work style and communication preferences. There is a plethora of information out on the internet that you can use to share with your team about preferences across generations. Utilize it. Gifts. How many of you have employee resource groups in your organization? All right, at Newport Shipbuilding, we've got an employee resource group called GIFT, and that's Generational Integration Focus Team. That's an employee resource group that's committed to fostering the understanding of preferences across multi-generations in, in the workplace. Activities that they have going are events with fun skits and networking opportunities. The skits are hilarious. You get to see common work situations where they are misunderstanding. And you get to laugh at yourself. <laughs> Laughter is healing, it's cleansing. And if you can laugh about something, it's not a serious thing. So utilize skits that display some of the preconceived notions that you see that one generation has about the other. Um, there are subject matter experts in those groups that you can call on. They can come to your staff meetings to help work through some, some issues. There are communication tools that they have available. Um, most recently, last week, our um, subset of the GIFT team, they had stood up a booth right outside the elevator door. And we had a quick quiz there that talked about different generations. And then we had you know, a drawing and a prize that was given um, out to the winner at the end of the day. But it opened up the dialogue for communication. Um, and then lastly, um, About Face. That's another initiative that's happening at Newport News calling Rethink What You Think. So what you see of a person on the outside may not really fully illustrate what's on the, the inside. And you know what I'll end with, um, Richard Blake, who was a baby boomer, he said it very well. And this is on one of the videos that we have on our employee um, resource group connected to, to GIFT. Everybody wants to know they're important. At a certain point, they want to know, why am I here? Why do I come to the shipyard every day? And it's important for them to realize that, hey, the work we do here is critical as far as the defense of the country goes. You're not just here to earn a paycheck, but you're here to actually contribute to the bigger picture. So that was his message to the other generations about what he's trying to do when he communicates with them day in and day out. So I thank you for your time and um, Let's have more fun.
Thank you, Stephanie. That was very, very powerful. I mean, in just that statement alone that you just ended with, I mean, we can take shipbuilding out and just put our own, you know, organization in there. And what does that say to the people that actually work with us? So um, we're going to go into a activity. Petula, all right. And we're going to let uh, Petula uh, start with her activity. And then, um, and this is where you get to be involved. All right. We, we wanted to make this very interactive. And then, like I said, we'll go to some questions and answers. Okay. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. So I work in healthcare information technology. And so there's a lot of detail. So much of the exercises I do are focused on technologies, but I want to make something universal that you can all sort of take away from. Because one thing I take from this is you want to have some tools that you can use on a daily basis. So I think one universal piece that all of us can relate to is applying for a job or looking for a job. I think no matter whether you're in business or in the auto industry or in healthcare or in architecture, everyone's looking for a job. Is that a fair yeah. statement? So we can use that as a common ground. So uh, one of the things that I find real interesting is that depending on what generation you're at, Generation X, Generation Y, Millennials, you have different expectations of what your needs are. So what I'd like you to first think about, think about for five minutes and you are perhaps looking for a job. You don't have to be really looking for a job, but just, and you know, pretend you are. And you had to pitch yourself in an elevator pitch. Do we all know what an elevator pitch is and what that is? How might you do that pitch for a hiring manager who's a millennial versus someone who's a baby boomer? So you're going, and, and so imagine this, you're going in the interview and you've never met a hiring manager before, think about it, and you are who you are, you have your skill set. The person who comes in the door is someone in their 30s. What type of messages do you think you'd want to relay or what do you think would be important to that person? Hi, my name is... My name is Kimberly DeBose. I'm from Abbott. Um, I think they would be looking for someone who wants to do meaningful and impactful work. Okay, okay. Here's another comment. Hi, Kier Wright, Lockheed Martin Corporation. Um, I believe something that'd be communicated is that they are flexible, willing to adapt to different environments and also from a timing perspective that they can uh, be available and ready when needed. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, so I'm hearing for um, more millennials being tech savvy, uh, there's a level of flexibility. Now let's imagine you're walking in and now the person you're talking to is a baby boomer. What would you emphasize? Would you, would you emphasize the same? Would you emphasize the same things? Maybe you would. Kendra Patterson, Huntington Ingalls Industries. Uh, if I was interviewing with a baby boomer, I would tell him I would do whatever it took to get the job done. Okay. Done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, what else might you say to a baby boomer that you would think is important? Melissa Sandin, Michigan Technological University. I would express my loyalty and um, how my longevity would be great to the organization. Okay. 
No, that's great, that's great. No, those are really good examples. Now, this is the first meeting. Now, let's say you've done the interview, it's all going well, you shake hands, um, and then you wanna do a follow-up. So, you know, within 24 to 48 hours after the interview, you want to leave a good impression. How might you do that with someone who's from the millennial generation? Brianna Murkison, Lockheed Martin Corporation. Um, I would send them an email, and I also heard somebody say send them a text, but mm -hmm. I like the email. Okay, no, that. Send an email, send the text, and you think oh, millennial will probably be pretty receptive to that, and it would go. Now, what about someone from the baby boomer? What do you think you need to? Oh, oh, you can go up, you can go up, go ahead, go, up, go, up, go. <laughs> Uh, I'd probably send a, um, Margaret Williams from Huntington Ingalls, I'd probably send, I could send an email as an introduction and then attach a note, or I would do a, uh, I'd write a letter mm -hmm. and send it to them. Okay. No, that's great. That's great. And this, you know, in applying for jobs, it's a very, 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 very complex process when you don't have multi-generations to think about. But then when you do have that to think about, that's really, really, really important to understand. Here's another scenario. Between getting to the office and the end, one thing that's really popular, at least in the tech industry, is you do group interviews. And so you have individuals from multi-generations who you're trying to impress. How might you manage that process? And again, you might have four or five people. Some of them are just out of school. Some of them have been there for 20 years. You know, something to think about, something to think about. So this is just one example that I wanted to share. Um, another piece, if we have um, some time, is something that you, typically when I do this, I do this in small groups. Um, and we can try to do this, but, but we'll see. So if you think about what's a, what's a common work product that you might have to deliver? Requirements document. Okay, so let's use that as an example. So regardless of what industry you're in, um, imagine you were instructing someone in your organization to develop a requirements document for your particular industry. How would you communicate that expectation to someone who's just out of school in terms of what you need? What tools, how would you communicate it? What tools would you use? How would you relay the expectations that you would get the requirements document that you expected? And they're just out of school. You're listening to Playing in the Sandbox, effective strategies for managing multi-generational teams a professional development seminar featuring Patula Brown, Colonel Antoinette Gant, and Stephanie Simmons. Brought to you by the Women of Color STEM Conference, uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hi, I'm Phyllis Dogan from Lockheed Martin. In our organization, we actually have a process uh, that the individuals are trained in when they come in. So we actually communicate through using, we use many tools through our IMS uh, schedule, which is the integrated master schedule. We put down all of the steps of what we're going to deliver and who the customer is and what's in the product. And, and just to clarify, that process, is that taught on, on, in a classroom or is it a book or is it, how is it taught? If I was a new employee, how, how yeah. would I learn? The it? process, uh, the actual process is documented online, but a lot of the training is done on the job. So as they get in, they first go through the online training, 
and then they actually get it by on-the-job training, working with a senior-level engineer. Okay, like a mentor, perhaps? Yes, okay. Through the process before they, as they get started. Okay, so whether, no matter what generation I would be in, I'd basically use the same process. You would use the same process. And do you think it's equally effective across the board or that it's Having more? worked with both sides, those coming in that are um, seasoned veterans in the arena may know the process if the organization used it, and new hires. I find that new hires uh, tend, it is a little harder because it's a lot of reading, and they'd like to just jump in and get started. No, thank you, thank you. Well, this is a perfect example. Thank you for sharing that. In terms of you have a deliverable, the expectation doesn't change whether you're a millennial or a Generation Xer or baby boomer, but how you might have to communicate does have to, to change. Um, oh, good comment. Yeah, Deborah Kennedy, Army Corps of Engineers. I think because it's a new employee, to me, that's a conversation. Um, so you can sit down, talk with them about what it is uh, that you're asking them to do and kind of how you want it done. Um, that's an opportunity to take their questions, understand if they're comprehending what it is you're looking for, and just to have the dialogue. So I think it's, it's a conversation as well as supplementing it with training. Okay. No, that's helpful as well. That's helpful. So one thing that intrigues me, I've never been in the military, but I know several people uh, might have that experience. I think of that as terms of more command and control sort of structures um, that perhaps is more aligned to older generations. Is that something that we see as effective in younger generations? No. Uh, could you elaborate more on that? <laughs> Go ahead, Mr. Generation. <laughs> See, we learned in a, a seminar yesterday with Cheryl that, you know, when you shake your head, then you either, you're telling us something, so we want you to share it with everybody. Yes. Okay, so I'm a baby boomer. <laughs> okay. And, I'm a, mil and I'm, a very, I'm a military person, so I'm very structured. So uh, when I have younger individuals coming in and trying to put them into a real box and a structure, because they don't want to be boxed, in, in my opinion. They, they're pretty much free-flowing, and being, being in the box kind of hems them in and, and don't get the best out of them. So it does create somewhat of a problem. So as, as this baby woman, I understand this. When I'm talking to individuals, I try to let it free-flow a little bit better than me just trying to make it very structured. That's appreciated. And was there another comment? Okay. No, this is helpful. This is helpful. And there's a lot of different exercises that I do in the teams I'm in that really help um, that we can certainly go through if you want to touch base with me later. I think another piece to really talk about is technology. And I say I do a lot of virtual work. And I'm not, how many of you have virtual teams? Or is that unique? You have a few virtual teams. So that's something that you should definitely think about because virtual teams, if you grew up with them, you know, that's okay, but I think for many people who are used to the hand and touch, that can be a real challenge. Is it seem like the younger generations are more embracing of virtual teams? So how can we help our older generations get there? Or is it something we should expect? Oh, I see you not. You just said no. More working from home days. Ah, that's interesting. That's a, that's a I, Touchy subject. 
Well, actually, that, that leads to it. So let's talk about work from home. You know, I've worked from home. So if you had to go to your employer and say, I want to have a pitch work from home, how might you target that message, depending on whether your employer, your manager, is a baby boomer or a millennial? Because I know in most of my organizations, you know, unless you're very innovative and very forward thinking, you usually have to get some sort of approval to work from home. And how might you make that pitch to someone who's a baby boomer, for instance, like, like you? <laughs> Tiffany Byers, Huntington Ingalls. I have millennial, I'm a millennial and I have people that work for me and then I work for, a, I think he's a baby boomer. Um, so for me going to him, my, if, you, if you trust me and you know that my work ethic um, is sound while I'm at work, I need you to trust that I can do that at home. Um, I'm not going to deviate from any policies or procedures that I wouldn't um, uphold at work. So I'm going to uphold that same stature as if I'm at home. I'm just not physically going to be here. Um, so that's how I would approach it, approach it with him. Now, if somebody was to come to me, um, and I was explaining this to somebody else, when we have PTO requests, I tend to not ask a lot of questions as to why you need to take off and things like that, because that's not my business. You need to handle things at home. So if you need to work from home, I'm going to trust that you can get your work done um, no matter what space that you're in. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, thanks for that example. <laughs> so I'm Christy Thomas from Huntington Ingalls, and I have a, a pretty large organization, and I'm trying to promote more working from home telework, and I do have some uh, directors that work for me that are baby boomers and are very hesitant, um, but I think we've proven, we've shown that it's an investment because mm -hmm. we have parking issues where we work, we have traffic issues, and if people can have um, one or two hours less commute in the morning and in the mm -hmm. evening, they're much more productive. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not for everybody, but I think we've shown that there's a business case, that there's a return on the investment. Um, also, if we can have better retention mm -hmm. so we don't have to lose people from our organization. So I, I'm a huge advocate. Thank you. So I work for, a, a, she's a Generation X. So she encourages us because a lot of times at Huntington Ingalls, especially as a manager, most of our day is spent in meetings. Mm -hmm. But you still have to get that work done. And so therefore, we try to take at least either one day a week or one day every two weeks that we do not come in and that we work from home because then you can catch up on all that other stuff mm -hmm. and not have to spend so many hours a day during the, day, during the week. So we try and take that eight hours and catch up on everything. So it really works for us because mm -hmm. otherwise you just start to drown. Mm -hmm. I um, actually um, have been in the company 38 years. So I have worked on camps. Right now I am telecommuting. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've learned about the telecommuting is when you are a new hire, you need to first spend some time on site because they need to get to know you, get to know your work ethic, get to know your face, get to know who you are. And then you're able to move out, especially if you're now proving that you are productive, that you are dependable, you are a team player, because it's very hard to, ha you know, it's easy for folks if they, you've been around for a while to be, for you to be in that uh, telecommuting environment. 
And I agree with the young lady. It does add value to the corporation because it allows people to be, have a better work-life balance. Uh, so you then tend to have people stay with you longer. Um, it gives opportunity. The only one thing that I just say about telecommuting is watch how you telecommute because it, sometimes people begin to get comfortable and they have dogs barking in the background, they have <laughs> babies crying, they have mm -hmm. microwaves going off, you know, you still have to be professional if you do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, sometimes, you know, folks tend because now they've been with this team for a while, if they're, you know, sometimes people are steady moving from one project to the next, they tend to be a little flexible and not say that that's unprofessional, but you need to pull those folks aside and state that. And our teams are all across the U.S., you can be on a team, you got somebody on the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, even people uh, in the U.K., and you got to be flexible because of different time zones that as you're scheduling these meetings, that you're meeting everybody's situation. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say that. No, that, that's, really, that's really, you know, apropos. And actually, as you were speaking, what came to mind, you know, we're talking about multi-generational, but keep in mind we're also talking about a global workforce, and I think many of us can speak to that, and what a millennial who's from Europe or Southeast Asia's experience could be very different from a baby boomer from South America, and, you know, to keep that in mind, and I know that that can be sort of a challenge as well, because then you take, you're talking the intersects of two different sort of cultural perspectives, so that's definitely something to consider. So I'm hoping these exercises are helpful to you. Again, there's a lot more that can be done in smaller groups, but the main takeaway to follow up with the earlier presentation, there's a lot of macro level things that you can think about and do, which are really awesome, but there's also the day-to-day -day work of getting things done, and whether that means applying for a job or getting a deliverable done, really making sure that you customize the understandings, the expectations, and the tools you use so it's most effective to the generation you're working for and working with and collaborating with is most important. So now I want to turn it over to Antoinette. Thank you. So hopefully that got your mind thinking a little bit. I thought that was a good exercise and it allowed us to not just be the ones up here talking, but to learn from you all. So I'm sitting down here writing notes. Um, I, I mentioned the fact in the other one, I have 1,250 civilian employees that actually work for my organization. And, and they come from all types of, I mean, from every generation that you actually have. And teleworking is something, yeah, those baby boomers are like, mm, mm, I don't know about that. I need them right here. I got to keep them close. But to hear some of the, you know, to explain to them, hey, you come in, you understand, you learn the organization, then we can talk about that. But first, we need you to understand the job itself and how you, how you actually add value to what we're doing. So we're going to open it up for some questions here, but I've got a couple questions for the panelists um, before we do that to keep your minds kind of thinking. And, um, and if you have a question, you can go ahead and go to the mic and as they answer the first question, then we can go ahead and go to the next question. So Stephanie and Patula, either one of you can answer this question here. And so we, you know, have talked a lot about um, our strategies for working with multi-generations, but can either one of you elaborate more on why it's important for um, the, or how does a multi-generational team or workforce shape our organization? 
Okay. Um, when, when I think about how it shapes the organization, I'll reflect back on some of the things that were already said. The nice thing about having traditionalists and baby boomers in the organization, they give you kind of like that foundational group of continuity. These are people that are pretty much, our head is down to the, to the, to the plate. We're not out there looking for that next job. We've got our pensions. <laughs> you know, we're committed and, you know, and we know the inner workings of the company and 75% going back to can you work from home, 75% of how people get trained in your organization is on the job training. So those baby boomers are your foundational group. You know, and then when I think about having cross generations and how it shapes the organization as well, when you have, like we do at Huntington Ingalls, five generations, just think of the power of that. When you get five generations seated at the table trying to come up with solutions, you have the history, you have the innovation, you have those people that are thinking out of the box of another way to, to attack that problem. So there's, there's, there's energy, there's synergy, and studies are showing that when you have that, that level of cross-generation, you've got wonderful productivity as well. They challenge each other. And I'll just keep going back to that common sense of, of goals and understanding and what are we trying to accomplish. Um, well, as Stephanie was talking, what came to mind is really having a multi-generational teams that I've experienced really helps minimize blind spots. And I say blind spots because nobody knows everything, you know, that, that's just a given. And um, in working in the technology fields I work in, it's really interesting how uh, the younger generation, so to speak, will have a lot of innovation, a lot of energy, a lot of want to do creative things, and that's all good and fine. Um, you have many from the older generation who know the key players, who know the politics, who know the dynamics. And what I found is really, really, really great is that they complement each other because you can come up with a really slick technology and it looks really wonderful to the tech guys because they just like doing the latest, greatest thing. But then the older generations who are more of the client-facing consultants, sales, really can target it to the outward facing potential clients to really translate, you know, what might be an abstract concept to individuals and explain how does this affect your business? How does this increase your revenue? How does it decrease your cost in a way that the more innovative thinkers, you know, they're thinking at a certain level, may not, may not be as grounded as the individuals who are in the trenches day to day with the people on the business side. So I would say, you know, there are challenges because, you know, when you have blind spots, you know, people, I think generally in psychology, they tend to work with people who are like them, you know, which is understandable, and they tend to radiate and get to people who are like them, you know, but you really want to have that diversity of thought and thinking and perspectives, because when you bring all of that around the table, then they'll see things that maybe you don't see, or vice versa, and then the outcome is stronger collectively than if you were working individually. Absolutely. And let me piggyback yeah, sure. there. At our company, we are in process of going drawingless for paper, I mean paperless drawings. And there was this bias and preconceived notion that the traditionalists would have a hard time 
going from a paper drawing to tablets. And I'm gonna tell you, you know, the, the younger generation may know how to put it in the tablet, but the traditionalists can look at it and say, wait a minute, mm -hmm. that, that tolerance is not looking, that tolerance doesn't translate to real life. Mm -hmm. So that's how they complement each other. And our traditionalists are taking those tablets and they are going to town. And so that preconceived notion we had that they were gonna have a hard time going from paper to tablets was a misperception and we have been pleasantly surprised. And also as a person that's been with the company 35 years, you know, those of you that are managing groups, don't count us out. We aren't retired yet. And I do not <laughs> plan to retire in place. So don't put your, don't not put your baby boomers and traditionalists on teams. Cause I'm not retiring in place. I will probably still be telling Looper News and Huntington Ingalls about my ideas on my last day on the way out the door, because that's just the type of person I am. So don't put me in that baby boomer box thinking, oh, well, she's only got two more years in the company. No, I'm going to be active and engaged to my last day of work. I'll probably be there till four o'clock. That's just, that is so I'm, I'm anal like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what you said is true. It's about diversity and thought. And, and the fact that because you have these multi-generational, it allows you to be able to be the innovator, but also understand, you know, how it all plays in, into what you're trying to do. Yes, ma'am. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Jerry Yave. I'm with the Siemens PLM software. Actually, you're, you use our software for your uh, okay. going paperless. Paperless, okay. NX. Wonderful. Um, so uh, one thought that came to my mind when we were talking about um, the generations like the uh, baby boomers or Generation X, I thought about uh, you also have to think about the, the experience of that person in your organization because somebody who's like young could have been there, you know, since they were an intern, so they know a whole lot about the organization. Mm -hmm. And then somebody who's like, you, you might see that they might be a little uh, more senior, but then they might have been like hired very late, right? They were hiding in their 40s mm -hmm. or something. So it's like mm -hmm. they, their knowledge of the organization is not going to be the same as what the other people that you see, you know, in the, you know, in that same generation, right? So, like, I've been with the company like 25 years almost, and mm -hmm. then you know, uh, the other people that are like have the same level of knowledge as me, they're a little bit older than me, right? So, but you know, we we have like um, we we bring. That, that diverse thinking into the the table, right? Because uh, even though we are different generations, our you know like level of where our, the organization has progressed, we were all there. You know, we kind of uh, contributed. We, we each have our own like a uh, uh, bring bring something different to the table, different mm -hmm. thinking, and uh, I'm more you know, savvy or more like a more on online collaboration stuff than the other people. They're like, mm -hmm. yeah, we don't like using online tools and virtual meetings and things like that. We still like like meeting people in person, but we try to encourage, yeah, we, we have a big, you know, global team that you have to collaborate with online, constantly, you know, uh, engage interaction and things like that. So um, just wanted to. Sure, thank you. No, thank you very just, much. Just, just excellent points, because why not have the best person on the team? Who cares if they're in Australia? If that's the person that needs to be on the team, yes. And then also to your point about when you look at somebody, again, that bias of, oh, they're young, they're just coming. You don't know that they have been interning for the last three years. And I will tell you, 
interns that I've worked with that have only been at the company for like 10 weeks. At week nine, I'm like, do you have to go back to school? Mm. I mean, because they get in and quickly raise okay. their hand and take the lead. And I'm just like, don't you want a co-op? <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, my question is, uh, I am a recent hire, so I've only been in my position for seven months. And um, our organization is submerged with we, because we've done it in the past this way. Um, what advice or uh, key points you would have in navigating those conversations of we've done this before? Well, I think, um, so you, you just, just to clarify, you've recently gone through a merger with another? No, I'm recent hire. Okay. So I'm only in this position for seven months and every thing we talk about, events, programs, budgets, it's always because we've done it this way. This is how we've always And you want to bring it. something new to the table? And I have perhaps. different ideas and okay. just like, I have that why question. You <laughs> I'm just like, why? Right, right. <laughs> and so how uh, the best practices of navigating those conversations? Well, I'm glad you brought that question up because I've recently started at Mathematica. Actually, this month is my six month anniversary. And that company, it's been around for 50 years. And one of the things that um, was really evident and that I'm doing to this day is to really respect and honor the knowledge that's there and really to get an understanding of why are things the way they are? Because I've known from my own personal experience, you go into something new, you know, and you think, oh, let's try this. And maybe that has already been tried. Who knows? Maybe there's some political or historical reasons why things are the way they are. Um, one of the things that I think is really important in terms of building those teams is really having some break times so you can really relationship build outside of the day-to-day -day work and really begin to develop those relationships. Uh, recently, Mathematica, they had their uh, summer getaway, which was a picnic, and it was really great. You could see some of the older individuals, and then you had some of the newer folks with their kids. People brought dogs, it was at a park, you know, and really have a, like a social interaction. And so I would say one of the big things to do as being a new person, I've always found it helpful to really have an onboarding time and really meet with as many people as you can and have a manager who's supporting you in particular to help facilitate those introductions. So you can begin to understand the root cause of why things are the way they are, why they're wedded to the way things are. You know, because when you're new, you really don't have that, you don't really have that perspective. Um, I've also found when you can be in an organization that has buddy systems, like in ours, everyone has a buddy, and you can talk to them and say, hey, you know, I have these three ideas. You know, give me a sense of how this might play or, you know, whom I want, want to talk to because I have experienced that when people come in, quote, of gangbusters, and don't honor and respect the knowledge that's there, even if you have a really, really great idea, if people feel disrespected and disregarded, the goodness of the idea gets lost because of the emotion around not being respected. Attack those ugly babies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, go ahead. Oh, hi, good morning. My name is Andrew. Good morning. I'm from Roosevelt University. I'm a student, but I also work in the healthcare field. First, thank you for the presentation and your time. And uh, my question is, how do you stand out in a group interview with other people from different backgrounds and everything else? Uh, I currently work in the healthcare field. I'm going for an interview next week at uh, Rush Hospital for Vascular Surgery Administration. 
And I want to know how can I stand out in a group of other individuals. So are, they, are you all going to be interviewing at the same time? or face-to-face, uh, -face and then they have uh, the group. So it's a panel that's yeah. going to be interviewing you. Okay. So, right. So, so just so I'm clear, when you say a group, are you coming in and meeting with a group of people, or are the interviewees, are there multiple interviewees doing uh, a group activity? Multiple interview, and then they have the, the panel, like one-to-one. -one. Okay, okay. Well, one of the things, as you spoke, that came to mind, especially with fellow interviewees, I have found that a lot of interviewing, it's really behavioral, and beyond seeing your individual skills, they want to see how you interact with others. And are you the leader? Are you the know-it-all? Are you the quiet one? And really try to see how that interaction plays with their own culture. And one of the things I find is really helpful is if you go on LinkedIn or you go on Glassdoor, so you have a pretty good sense of the culture of the organization when you go into that interview. Because I know I've been in places where I knew from such research that collegiality was really important. So having a cutthroat approach probably wouldn't go through well. <laughs> um, and then similarly, when you meet with the group, you know, it's a blessing we have so much technology. You have LinkedIn, you have Glassdoor. Whenever I interview with anybody and I get their names, you know, usually within a few minutes I'm on LinkedIn to get a sense of what their background is. So I can really connect with them. You know, even if it's common schools, you know, we have similar interests. You know, that really, really helps. But definitely use the resources and really try to go in and understand the culture of the company. Because some companies, you know, they all say they're cutthroat and they're looking for, you know, the person who's going to come in gangbusters. But not all cultures are like that. And without doing that research ahead of time, you don't want to be the person who stands out inappropriately. But that assumes the culture is a culture you're comfortable with, which is another matter. So doing that research ahead of time, I think, is so important to prepare for such interview experiences. And know who's on the panel. See if you can find out the names of people that already report to these people and have a conversation with them to find out what those people's red buttons are, what are the things that they care about, what areas that you should speak about, which areas that you should stay away from, also, when they look to see how you interact with a group, there are many times that I have interviewed people that have the technical skills and knowledge for the job, but if I hired them, my cohesive team would just implode. So, you know, I'm like, you may be able to do it, but you're going to come in here and mess up my house. And we, we, all like, we don't need that. Yeah. And I, you know, right. I don't need you messing up what I put together. So be careful of that. You know, don't put other people's answers down. You focus on you. you. And it's nothing wrong to give someone some credit and say, I'd like to piggyback what Stephanie just said, or I'd like to add another, you know, perspective to what was said earlier. It, you don't have to make somebody else look bad to look good. So show that you will be a good team player and someone that's going to add more taste and, you know, gel and mm -hmm. help the team collaborate. Right, definitely. I think it, historically people would do one-on-one -on -one interviews, but then with so much team focus, you know, it's really hard to get a sense of a team dynamic in the one-on-one -on -one situation. Mm -hmm. So getting in groups, that can create its own challenge, you know, but it does do for the employer a chance to see a group of people. And like Stephanie was saying, if they already have a lot of quiet people, 
and they maybe need somebody outspoken, right? Maybe they got enough people, you know, pretty outspoken, so they need someone who's more on the back burner. And but you know, you wouldn't necessarily know that. But I think that's part of the drive between, you know, for these group interview experiences. And come ready with your questions too, because yeah. you should be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Yeah. That may not be where you want to be. It's yeah. mm -hmm. great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. So, so as you get ready for your question, come on to the mic. I have an, another question for our panelists here. Have you been, have you ever been faced with any generational conflict in the workplace? And if so, how did you handle it? Well, I think what comes to mind. Um, so, having worked on a lot of virtual experiences, younger generations, you know, they're tech savvy and they, they might go on vacation, but they really don't. And they're like, well, you know, you can text me or whatever. And, you know, I'll be around because, you know, that's just the personality where uh, baby boomers, when they're done, they're like done. And even though they have the same technology, <laughs> I would be don't very call me, right? Don't call me, don't text me. <laughs> you know, um, one of our vice presidents, he, he travels a lot. And he has his phone connected to his email and he's like always on, you know, but you can't assume that everyone, everyone's there. So I think, you know, in particular, one of the things that I appreciate is asking people, are you a morning person? Or are you a night person? Like I'm a morning person. So after four o'clock Eastern, I'm sort of done. But, you know, asking people ahead of time. Some people, um, even the director I work with now, she's available through technology. Uh, but she gets a lot of emails and she's, she says, you know, if you have an urgent thing, text me or jabber me and then we can get it resolved because don't assume because you sent me an email that I'm going to even see it by the end of the day. So I think the real, um, to answer your question, is to really to set those expectations early. And for people who grew up with technology and are used to doing emojis and all that, you know, there's one side. And they're individuals, if you did an emoji text to them, they'd be like, what, what is this? What the heck is this? Yeah. You know, and make sure that, you know, you understand what, where their comfort level is. So there's a win-win there. Um, my real life situation is the all-encompassing question of when is it due? So I had a situation where um, Millennial was given a task. And the supervisor failed to tell them when it was due. So going back to your exercise, when you come up to a baby boomer as a, a, a manager or director and you say, well, I need to know the square root of da 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 da, and you walk away, a baby boomer or a traditionalist knows, stop what you're doing <laughs> and get that information. And as soon as you have it, get it to your boss. Most times those bosses are sitting in a meeting and they have texted you and they need that information before they leave the room so that there won't have to be a second meeting. Well, younger generations, well, if it was important, you would have told, told me, me. <laughs> that you needed it now. <laughs> there you go, there you go. So, so, I, so of course the baby boomer tradition is like, well, I don't believe it. Came in my office all in a huff. And I said, well, okay, well, let's, let's go through the scenario. Did you let them know that you needed it immediately? Well, <laughs> I shouldn't have had to. <laughs> so again, it goes back to those biases and preconceived notions. And so when I was able to, now I'm not going to tell you he was happy with my answer, because 
it goes back to your upbringing mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. your expectations are, but it helps him understand, recognize the audience that you're asking to do a particular task for you. And if you need it now, you need to say you need, you it, need now. it now. Yeah. And what quality you need, because you know, if you say you want X, do you want it first draft or do you want it final? Because yeah. what you might get might not be what you expected if you didn't bet that, put that expectation out there up front. You'll get something, yeah. but if you want to make sure it fits what you need, make sure you give the parameters clearly. We, in the Army, we call it implied and specified tasks. And if you really want them to know, you can't be, uh, you know, you got to say it's, it's got to be truly specified. Yes, ma'am. All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm Michelle. I'm with Nestle. And uh, the question that comes to mind is kind of going back to working from home. On a few days when I've had the opportunity to work from home, I find myself kind of working every, like the whole day through like 8 p.m. And I'm just wondering, with you all that have so much more experience, how do you manage your time at home where you don't want to do everything that needs done for like the rest of the year? We need more people like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, keep your sanity, keep your sanity. <laughs> well, I mean, working that way, sometimes you tend to knock a lot of things out, but yeah. just looking at maybe trying to have that work-life balance, yeah. eventually having children that you need to spend time with, mm -hmm. like what has worked for you all? So I'll start by saying, you know, yeah, you do have to set parameters for yourself. And just like if you were at work and if your work schedule was from eight to five at five, you're about to shut down. You've got to force yourself to be able to do that. You know, at lunchtime, you got to take if you take a lunch at work, you need to take a lunch while you're at home. So folk, just um, I do everything by calendar and there's a ding when it's time for me to go to the next thing that has to get done. But force yourself to kind of. Um, to work toward that script and therefore you become more and more comfortable in being able to do that. Right. And I've, I've found the best thing to your point about having a calendar, you know, even if I could be in meetings all day because people schedule stuff and if they see an open slot, they'll grab it because hey, it's open. You know, I block off 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the afternoon for walk time because, you know, it's not healthy to just sit all day long. You know, I'll block time and then if I need to do whatever, make sure it's on the calendar, because I find, especially in this high-tech age, you know, people say, oh, you know, put something on the calendar, and before you know it, your calendar is sold out. And so usually the beginning of each week, I block 15 minutes walking, an hour for lunch. You know, I have two young kids. If I know they have to be somewhere after 4.30, I'm blocking that off, so that if the time is there, they can't take it, or even work time. You know, I spend a lot of time in meetings, but some of the work has to get done when you're not in meetings. Blocking an hour or a half an hour before or after a meeting to process. Again, that's your time. And if you don't save it, no one else is. I, I will add that you need to get rid of the guilt. How you get rid of the guilt is you set up expectations about working from home. What I mean by that is just because your boss emails you at 11 o'clock at night doesn't mean that he's looking for you to look one last time <laughs> at your email <laughs> before you go to bed. But you don't know, you may have a boss that is expecting you to look at the email one last time. So before you start working from home, sit down and have that conversation about what expectations is. I have a boss right now that family time is very important to him. So when he comes home, he spends time with his children. And he is back looking at his email one more time at 11 o'clock at night. 
But he has had that conversation with us. Just because I'm looking and sending you emails, it's not his expectation that he gets an answer. So get rid of the guilt or the wonder by setting the parameters of what does working from home entail and, and what is your boss's expectation of you? Right. And can you can make it a win-win. I'm working with the director. She's in a different time zone. She knows that I'm on the computer like at 6 a.m. <clears throat> Eastern time, and she's out on the West Coast. So she knows after 4 o'clock, I'm, I'm like done. <laughs> so, but that's only because we understand each other, and then she's not going to get up as early as me to check my stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's just a win-win. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You are. No. So if you, let's please give our panelists another round of applause. I think we did a very outstanding job. And we are very thankful for you being a part of this and also adding value, not to just what the panelist says, but also sharing your own stories and testimonies about things that uh, you have experienced and how you actually deal with them. I think it's always added value to get information from you as well. Um, to our panelists, we do have gifts for you, so we want to yeah, say thank, thank you. you. Um, we've only we've only been in contact for about a month now in actually preparing for this, and it's so wonderful to be able to um, connect with individuals and feel like you've been a part, you've been knowing them for all your life. Um, so we do have a few minutes before we get ready for the next panel to come in here. I do want to encourage you, uh, you will get a survey. If you could please take um, that survey to tell us how well we did. And also if you have recommendations for other things that you would like to see at, um, some, at conferences like the Women of Color um, for workshops, please put those in there as well because we want to continue to enhance to make sure that we're enhancing you um, as we go about um, ensuring that women of color be, continues to have forward progress in what we do. So with that, I just want to say thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Playing in the Sandbox, Effective Strategies for Managing Multi-Generational Teams, a professional development seminar featuring Senior Project Manager for Mathematica Policy Research, Patula Brown. District Commander for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Louisville District, Colonel Antoinette Gant. And Director of Supply Chain Procurement for Huntington Ingalls Industries, Stephanie Simmons. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.